All right, we're in Acts chapter 10 tonight. If you would, Acts chapter 10, uh, just to review, uh, we had a couple of weeks ago since we've been in Acts, because we had a speaker last week, but uh, changes to take place here in this chapter and in the propagation of the gospel. Before this, uh, the gospel was simply to the Jew, or primarily to the Jew. In Matthew 15, 24, even Jesus himself said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Gentiles were not seen as recipients to the grace of God, but all this was about to change. We uh, saw last week a heavenly visitor that came to Cornelius in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Uh, Cornelius was a God-fearer, the Bible says. Uh, It mentions his faith. He was a devout man, one that feared God. Uh, Cornelius lived up to the light that he had. He did not yet know the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit certainly knew him as a devout man. God-fearing man. It not only mentions his faith, but also his family. The Bible says that he feared God with all his house. So picture this, this secular Gentile soldier got his family on board to have faith in the living God. This faith was directed to the true and living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not to the many gods of Rome in that day. Then it mentions his fervor. He gave much alms, the Bible says, to the people and prayed to God always. This man proved his faith to God uh, by his works to man. Cornelius was generous in his acts of charity, here it shows, and, and uh, was generous to the poor and needy. And then he had a vision. Lord, an angel came to him uh, and to, had a vision to seek out a man named Peter. And it's a great truth in Acts. I know I mentioned this last time, but I just want to reiterate how God keeps track of men and has someone for the jobs that need to be done. He sees an Ethiopian traveling from Jerusalem with a longing in his soul. God knows where Philip lives. And when he sees a blind Saul of Tarsus on a street called Straight, God knows where Ananias lives. When he sees a, 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 a genuine uh, yet and good but yet still unsaved Cornelius, he knows Peter's address. And so he, the angel gives Peter's name and address essentially to Cornelius. He says, go ascend for him and he will tell you or he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Again, a good point to remember is we are given the, spirit, or the ministry of reconciliation. That is not given to the angels. That is given to God's children. And so it is up to us to give the message. And then the scene moved from Cornelius to Peter. And Peter had a heavenly vision in verses 9 through 10. Uh, It was noon, Peter was on top of the uh, roof of his host's house, he was praying there, and uh, then he had this vision in front of him, the sheet came down, Uh, essentially what he had in front of him was a heavenly buffet. Aren't buffets wonderful? I love buffets, they're just, we could just pause and talk about that, but we won't. Clean and unclean animals were on this sheet, all mixed together. He recoiled in horror at the command that came When God said, arise and eat, he couldn't even imagine eating the animals that were set before him, the ones that were unclean. Verses 14 and 15, we see the tremendous struggle that was in Peter's soul. He did not want to do what he thought. His religious prejudice was so deep-set and deep-rooted in his heart and his life. A lifetime of training screamed against what God told him to do in this vision. Peter was told clearly not to label common what God hath cleansed. And so, while this is going on, or the vision is ended, and Peter is seeing all this and processing it, uh, there's a knock at the gate, and here come the three men that Cornelius sent 
to go find Peter. And in, in response to the Holy Spirit, Peter hurried down. He welcomed these visitors to his, into the home there as guests. They sat down to a meal together. They gave him a place to stay that night. The next day, a group set out for the 30-mile trip to Caesarea. There were the three Gentiles that came to get Peter. There was Peter himself, and then there were some believers from the church in Joppa uh, that Peter took along as witnesses to what was going on here, and they head to meet Cornelius. Tonight, we look at the meeting that they're going to have. Starting at verse number 24 of chapter number 10 of Acts, let's read, and we'll read through verse 33. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come into one of another nation. But God, love those but gods of Scripture. Always is a big change. Always is a big, the circumstances change when you insert a but God. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting in this hour until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Think about this. Here's an unsaved man, and God heard his prayer. God honored his faith, more likely we could say here, but his prayer was heard. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who when he was co when cometh shall speak unto thee. So he's telling Peter here about his vision. And then he said, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Imagine this. Peter is a preacher. There's just no better setting than this. We're all gathered here, ready to hear what you have to say. The floor is yours, and he gives it to Peter. Imagine this scene. Father, we thank you for this passage. We pray that you'd help us do justice to your word tonight. Pray you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see first, and we'll just kind of break these verses down as we go, the greeting and, and Peter, how he was worshipped when he first came. He, he came there, as soon as he walked in the door, Cornelius met him, and then it says he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up. Cornelius was overwhelmed to be in Peter's presence. I mean, think about it from his angle. Uh, an angel had told him about Peter. This is someone, a, an angel had introduced Peter to him. An angel had come to him and said, go get this man, Peter. So since then, no doubt he's been anticipating this moment. He did something that he would do to no other man, perhaps maybe Caesar, get down on his knees before him, but to no other man, certainly no Jew, but he went down to his knees before Peter and then he actually worshipped. Here in the flesh was the lifelong search or the answer to his lifelong search for God. An angel had come to him and told him about Peter. So it was a very important moment for him. 
Uh, as for Peter, he was a bit embarrassed about it, uh, as all of us would be. He was a Jew. He could not conceive of a man worshiping another man. And so he, I, I, it says he raised him up. I'm assuming he just reached on and grabbed him by his shoulder. Lift, hey, get up. I'm just a man like you are. We're not supposed to worship me. And that's how uh, Peter set that straight. But then he was welcomed. As he talked with him in verse 27, he went in and found many that were come together. Now, Cornelius must have been a man of significant influence. He had a lot of friends, and when he knew the man of God was coming, he got people together to hear what he had to say. What a blessing that is. Soon after, it was right after Katie and I moved to Michigan, uh, we were invited over to the house of one of the people in the church, and we really hadn't known anybody yet. We didn't have any friends there in the church. We kind of knew, and so... Uh, we were pretty excited that we were met, invited over for supper to somebody's house. And, and we went over uh, that night. We actually got a babysitter. and we went over to their house for dinner. They, so it was a no-kids thing, so it was, gonna, it was a neat thing. We were looking forward to it because we are wanting to make friends in this new place. When we got there, there were five or six cars parked in the driveway. And when we entered the house, we saw an easel sitting there. It was an Amway presentation. guy in a suit standing there, and a whole bunch of us were gathered together to come and hear an Amway presentation. Uh, a little bit of a disappointment. Well, here, Cornelius had invited a whole bunch of people over. He threw up an easel for, for, Paul to, or for Peter to come and preach the gospel to him. Hey, it's a good thing for us to invite people to where the gospel is going to be preached, isn't it? And I encourage you to do that uh, every week. Every week, you ought to be inviting somebody to come out to church. And uh, just, I always tell them, I, I, have, I don't know if you've ever been to the best church in the world, but I'm giving you the privilege to come next Sunday. I mean, you make a big deal about it. I feel it's the best church because of you guys. So, uh, But invite them to church. It's a, it's a good thing. You don't make it sound like a dreary thing. Bring them in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had visitors this morning, praise the Lord again, uh, some that were unsaved as far as I know and, and are here and, and heard the, the word of God, and that's a, that's a blessing. So here he is, his place is packed with people, and he's about to give Peter the floor. Now look in, uh, here we see the guidance in verses 28 through 29, uh, in the silence here that kind of followed, Peter introduces himself, and immediately he calls out the big old fat elephant in the room. And it's a good thing he did, because he's going to kind of, uh, it's a good thing when we just talk about it. It was something that's looming big like this was, and Peter addresses it right away. Every Gentile knew that the Jews are not to uh, have social contact with them. Uh, the, it, it was this Jewish superiority, and you could even call it snobbery, that made the Gentiles hate them so much. They were far too good to spend any time with Gentiles. They even called them dogs, Gentile dogs. In fact, Jesus himself, remember, to the woman that came to him, says it's not meat to cast, uh, basically to, to cast God's word he's talking about, to dogs, uh, Gentile dogs. That's how they referred to them. And so many of them hated the Jews for this very thing. Now, as for Cornelius, he's, he thinks Peter's there because the angel told him to come. But that wasn't enough for Peter. I like what he said here. He says, you know, it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. That's the elephant in the room. But God hath showed me. Peter didn't get this from a book. He didn't get it from a podcast. He got this from God. God hath showed me. In one sentence here, Peter assured this Gentile audience 
that no longer is there a racial barrier between Jew and Gentile. Now, I mentioned this last time we talked about this, and we're going to continue to mention it. We have to realize how monumental this is. This is nothing for us. We don't think for a moment. We understand the gospel is for the world. But this is not how they thought in this day and age. And here what Peter said that, uh, that God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is new. Uh, before this he certainly did, but now he realizes this change. Verse 30, Cornelius said, uh, explains, uh, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. Can you, what a man Cornelius was. Here is a Roman soldier. While his Roman soldier buddies were living wicked lives, Cornelius is praying. Not only that, Cornelius is fasting. Not even many Christians do that. Here is a man determined to please God in the best way that he knew how. And then he repeats in verses 30 through 32 uh, the story of what happened to him, how an angel, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he tells Peter about what happened to him. Now, Peter had heard the story from Cornelius' servants. Now he heard it from Cornelius himself. Now, if you'll pay attention to this section, this chapter specifically in the book of Acts, you'll see how it repeats what's happening several times. Uh, you'll, it mentions... Uh, the, the series of events over and over. Peter's vision is detailed for us in the first part of chapter 10, and then later it's told all over by Peter again himself when he recounts the vision. The visit of the angel to Cornelius is detailed for us in Scripture and then retold by Cornelius himself. So we have it twice. Both of those instances we have twice in the Word of God. I believe the Holy Spirit is making very clear the importance of these events because, again, an enormous change is taking place here in Scripture. The middle wall of partition that Ephesians talks about between the Jew and the Gentile is being broken down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Gentiles could become members of the church. Gentiles would have full equality with Jews. And again, it doesn't dazzle our world. It doesn't wow us where we are today. But it did them at that time that there should be... Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that no Gentile could be saved before this. Uh, even in the Old Testament, we see that allowances made for Gentiles uh, becoming children of God, but that there should be no difference was a big deal. This was something new. In fact, not many years would pass where Jews would become the minority in the church, and they've been the minority ever since then. Gentiles make up the majority now. And God knew this, so the Bible repeats these details for us to underline the importance of what's going on here. We can't just glance through chapter 10, read it, and move on, and not realize the momentous change that's taking place here in the Bible. The man in bright clothing, Cornelius said. He's called an angel of God, verse 3. The interesting thing about Cornelius' testimony is the acceptance that he already had in heaven. The Bible says that his prayers and his alms had come up for a memorial before God, in verse number 4. Now, there's a lot of discussion about this. Can an unsaved man's prayers be heard? Uh, 
the answer really is yes and no. We see here that his prayers were heard. A person's works are never accepted as the basis of his salvation, but they are accepted as evidence for his faith. The prayers and alms of Cornelius could not secure him salvation because only the blood of Christ can do that, but they were accepted as a token of his faith. Here's, we, he, we see in Cornelius, and God saw, that his obedience to the light he had gave evidence that he would be obedient were more light to come into his life. And I believe very strongly light obeyed increases light, light disobeyed increases darkness. I feel totally, I've seen that in my dad's life when my dad got saved. Uh, he obeyed the light he had and God sent more light. God sent somebody to witness to him when that just does not happen in the religion we were in. But yet it did because God honors that. So how Cornelius responded to the little light that he had was a clear indication to how he would respond if he got more light. In the meantime, God accepted his alms and his prayers as evidence that he displayed a willingness to believe all that God would say. Verse 33, immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. He says, thanks for coming, Peter, essentially here. I'm thrilled that you're here. Now we're all present and before God to hear the things that are commanded to thee of God. So Cornelius has made the introductions. Now he sits down. Peter, the floor is all yours. We're here to hear what you have to say. Literally, the fate of the world spiritually speaking, hangs on what's going to be said in the next five minutes. This was a weighty moment in Scripture. Never has a meeting been so charged with excitement and expectation. Remember, Cornelius knew very little, uh, little to nothing about Peter. The rest of the guests knew nothing about him. Peter was not what they were used to. You remember, they would have, they would have a lot of preconceptions when they found out from Cornelius, they were not there for supper. They were there to hear from a Jew. <laughs> when they would find, I don't know if it was a surprise or not, but they would have a lot of preconceptions about what they might hear. That Peter came from an area known in all the Roman and official circles as a narrow, bigoted, fanatical about their religion, exclusionist type of people. The story of Jesus was... No one in Caesarea, uh, Philip had been there and lived there, so he would have spread that. But the official attitude about the Jews would be tainted by the propaganda of the Sanhedrin. So what would this man Peter have to say? What did they expect? More than likely, they expected something like this. Peter speaking to Cornelius, my dear friend, you're what the Jews call a God-fearer. You've come a long way. But there's one more step. Now you need to be circumcised, become a full Jew. That's probably what they expected because that's what they got from the Judaizers in that day. And I'm assuming they would be dreading to hear words like that. But it soon became evident here that Peter is going to say no such thing. Look what he says in verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Again, we read that, we think nothing of it. We understand that. We, we have it in our Constitution. All men are created equal. 
we, we're, that's in our DNA as Americans. God is no respecter of persons. That fits right along with our way of thinking. That's not how they thought. God was a respecter of persons, Peter thought before this. But now he sees that God is not. Go on. But in every nation that feareth him, or he that feareth him and worketh righteousness, is accepted with him. So it doesn't matter. Peter's saying it doesn't matter if you're from Rome. doesn't matter if you're from Caesarea. doesn't matter if you're from Egypt. doesn't matter where you're from. If you fear God, you accept him, you're accepted of God. This is unprecedented information. That God was no respecter of persons was new to Peter. He had always thought that a Jew just... Uh, well, he, he was a Jew, and so he felt that about himself, was the, had the most favored nation status with God. Now, true, God had entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham and the children of Israel. Uh, basic to that agreement would be that Israel would be a holy nation. But the individual Jew was a man just like everyone else, and he needed a personal relationship with God. So does that mean that in, even in the Old Testament, every Jew went to heaven, every Gentile went to hell, not at all. Rahab w was a Gentile, she went to heaven. Korah was a Jew, he went to hell. Uh, and, and you can see throughout, individually, they still needed to have that relationship with God. So Peter now saw that God, a, a God-fearing Gentile is just as acceptable to God as a God-fearing Jew. This would blow his mind, and it did. When he was on that rooftop, it was a new thinking for him. This was the climax of the revelation that began with the vision of the sheet. What a change, what a blessing. Look at the point of his message, verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, uh, he is Lord of all. Peter seems to assume here that his listeners had some general knowledge about the story of Jesus. He reminded the Gentiles that the word was originally sent by God to the children of Israel. For thousands of years, uh, God spoke through prophets exclusively to Israel. His last word had been brought down to earth by Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ was God in Jesus. The word, the Bible says, had become flesh. So Peter then began to direct his listeners to Christ. This was the main point of his message, and I love this. His message is not Judaism. His message is Christ. That's what he's promoting to them. That was the point of his message. He's pointing them to Christ. That needs to be the point of our message, by the way. We don't... Look, I'm, I'm a firm, strong, rock-ribbed Baptist. I believe in Baptist doctrine, but first of all, I'm a Biblicist first. Amen? So we, are, we don't promote... Uh, I don't go out and hand out a gospel tract or a tract that says why you should be Baptist, I give out gospel tracts that talk about soul salvation. All right, that's what's most important here. And so he's not promoting anything but Christ himself, which is what we ought to promote as well. Look at the preaching of the message in verse 37. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Paul later would say to King Agrippa in in chapter 26, verse 26, this thing was not done in a corner. 
John the Baptist had caused a nationwide stir with his preaching. Thousands had flocked to hear him and had been baptized in the Jordan. Then he had announced the Messiah uh, to the nation. And uh, for three and a half years, Jesus ministered all over, healing and doing miracles. This would have made the news. <laughs> this would have hit, uh, people would have heard about Jesus. He preached the word of God as none had ever done before. He spoke with authority, uh, not as the scribes did. He gave principles for holy living on his famous Sermon on the Mount. He boldly claimed to be the Son of God. People would have heard uh, all over about Jesus. And then, it, so not only the point of the message being Christ, the preaching of the message, but then the proof of the message, look at verse number 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. Isn't that a great summation of Jesus' life? Went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, and we were witnesses of all things. He had done. It was not only what Jesus had declared, it was also what he had done. Went about doing good. Uh, by the way, what an epitaph. I hope that can be said about each one of us at the end of our life. That went about doing good uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. The news of these things had reached the four corners of the land. Uh, Jesus never, as far as we know, visited Caesarea, but the stir that he caused where he was at would have caused even ripples there. So when Jesus talked about the living word, I think his Gentile audience here would be riveted to every word that he said. He says, we were witnesses of all things which he had done uh, in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Our faith does not rest on fairy tales. It rests on fact. It is fully authenticated by the witness of 11 men who spent three years in the company of the Son of God. They went where he went. They lived where he lived. They saw all he did. They heard all he said. They were witnesses of his conduct. They were witnesses of his character, day and night, week after week, month after month, for three years. They were credible witnesses. They were a kind of jury. They were, the, uh, they were various uh, types of men from various classes with various different backgrounds, education, and age. John was young and impressionable. Peter was a hard-working fisherman. Simon Zealotus was from the fiery ranks of the zealots. Nathaniel and Thomas were inclined to be skeptics. Matthew had been a tough businessman as well. Many considered him to be a traitor. Uh, Andrew had a, a, a gentle-type personality about him, always bringing people to Christ. Philip was somewhat calculating. Uh, James was, was also another businessman. And Peter assured Cornelius, all of us, we were witnesses. We were witnesses of all these things. He, along with others, witnessed the reality of Christ. All the wonderful stories told about him in the Gospels, they're true. They are witnesses. His sayings in the Gospels are genuine. All three dozen miracles that Jesus did, uh, they are recorded in the Gospel. Peter is there saying, we are witnesses. We saw it. All these things, Cornelius, about Jesus... They're true. He did change the water into wine. Peter drank some of it probably. Now, by the way, it's not the wine you buy at your grocery store aisle. Uh, I don't believe for a second Jesus made uh, alcohol. Uh, Jesus made wine. Uh, wine in the Bible is just the fruit of the vine. So uh, I do not. Uh, we believe very 
uh, clearly that the Bible would not spend uh, much of its pages talking against alcohol, and then Jesus would change water into alcohol. That doesn't fit. Jesus did not contradict the word of God. Uh, but he did do that. He did feed 5,000. Peter passed out some of the food that he, uh, when Jesus multiplied that. Jesus did walk on top of the water. In fact, Peter could really witness that. He was out there on the waves with him for a few moments. Uh, he had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Peter had been there. He had been transfigured on the mountain. Peter had seen it. It was all true. There's something reassuring about Peter's statement. We were witnesses. We saw it. Peter was telling the truth. They witnessed not only the reality of Christ, but the rejection of Christ. Look at verse number 39. We were witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Peter here indicted the Jewish people for the crucifixion of Christ. Now the Romans were involved too. The Jews killed people by stoning. It was uh, Romans that uh, used the form of execution of hanging him on a tree. So while blaming the Jews, Peter still gives the Gentiles their share of guilt when he talks about that he was hanged on a tree. It was Pontius Pilate, after all, who signed the death warrant for Jesus after he could find no fault in him. Uh, but Paul uh, or Peter puts the main part of the blame on the Jews here. They also witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Verse number 40. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Peter now had come to the greatest fact of all. He came to the resurrection. This is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions in the world. We do not preach a religion with rules and rituals. We preach a risen, living Savior, Jesus Christ. Christianity is not come and keep these commandments or come and obey these ordinances that we have. Christianity says, come and meet the man, amen? And that's what our message is when we preach Christ. He is living, He is risen, and you can have a relationship with Him. The resurrection of Christ, like everything else Peter's talking about, was public knowledge in this part of the country even, probably. The empty tomb was a fact. Once he had appeared to 500 people, and st uh, they were still alive here when Peter is talking, by the way. The religious leaders and the Roman authorities could not explain Jesus' resurrection away, although they tried. Look at verse number 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. The murder and then the subsequent resurrection of Christ put the human race in a very bad predicament. God had sent his only begotten son into the world. He proved his deity a thousand ways. He had lived a sinless life, went about doing good, and then we murdered him. Jew and Gentile alike. He rose again, proof of human guilt in the palms of his hands in the form of nail prints. And now Peter says one day he will judge. Boy, that ought to make men tremble. Uh, the fact that is that guilty men cannot escape judgment. Man does not have the last word. God has the last word. God is certainly not going to let men get away 
with the rejection of his son forever. But there's good news. And he talks about it in verse number 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, although we deserve judgment, God offers grace and offers forgiveness. God is offering and giving these men a chance to change their minds. And this was Peter's message here. He brought his listeners face to face with a decision. Just as we talked this morning uh, with the rich young ruler, Jesus forced him into a decision point. So Peter brings them to this decision. Now they have to do something about this person, Jesus of Nazareth. Their decision becomes very evident in verse number 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Before Peter could finish speaking, it happened. There was no need for a formal conclusion, no need for an altar call, an invitation. There they were, drinking in the message. They were hearing and they were believing. When Peter got to the moment, uh, got to the point, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Uh, I think we can see they all did believe because down the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit doesn't come into unsaved people. He comes into saved people. What happened in Cornelius' home is what happened to the original group of Jewish believers in the upper room. The parallel here was so obvious that Peter talked about it and mentioned it later in, verse, in Acts 11, uh, 15. He says, And as soon as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. The same thing that happened to us on Pentecost happened to them when he was preaching to them. With the descent of the Holy Spirit, what Paul would call the mystery of the church was completed. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile was broken down. For from now on, the church, uh, in the church, Christ made in himself of twain one new man, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, two nations, two peoples, one church. Amen. What a blessing, because I'm a Gentile. As far as I know, most of you are Gentiles as well. We're included in the grace that God gives to us. What a blessing that is. Uh, they were now, we, if we include us as Gentiles in Ephesians 2.19, we're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What a blessing. This, ladies and gentlemen, is where we come in. We're accepted as well as were the Jews. I praise God that the gospel is not to a select group of people. Amen? That's why I soundly and firmly reject the false belief of Calvinism, uh, that God has chosen certain people to go to hell, and he's chosen certain people to go to heaven. My Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. My Bible says whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. I'm glad that he came for everyone, aren't you? And we don't have to try to decide who it is that God came to reach. But what a moment in Peter's life because he had to come to that belief as well. Before this, he strongly believed there was good men, there was common men, and there was unclean men. There was a, God made it very clear using the uh, unclean animals as uh, the vehicle to bring the message to Peter. Don't call common what God has called clean. And that's each and every one of us that the gospel comes forth. What do we take from this? We ought to be fervent about taking the gospel to everyone 
that we meet, to everyone that we come in contact with. Everyone's a candidate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can save anyone, even Cornelius, a battle-hardened, crusty old Roman soldier. And God could reach into his heart and tenderize it and prepare it for the gospel. You can do the same for everyone we meet as well. So let's be faithful in giving the message. Father, we thank you.